and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. And yes, if you can tell, I am outside recording this podcast. I'm right outside the media tent out in Ashburn. We're waiting on a couple of other players to come in, but we've already talked today with uh, Jack Del Rio, Scott Turner, Jonathan Allen, Ricky Seals-Jones, and some others. And I figured this is a good time to record the intro and the exit part of this podcast because I've already done the heavy lifting with the interviews today's Today's show includes my conversation with former Washington defensive end great Charles Mann. It is Dallas week, of course, and we wanted I wanted to go back in time and, and sort of reflect on what made this rivalry so great now that, look, it's been dead realistically for some time, but here we are back with a game that's got a lot of meaning to it um, <clears throat> because obviously Washington with a win is moves within one game of the first place Cowboys um, and, and they're in, they're in the wild card race regardless. So I got Charles Mann's perspective both on the history of this, what made it such a great rivalry, and what he thinks of this team now. We talked about Jonathan Allen because I think there's some comparisons between these two men. So we did that. And then in terms of this game specifically, uh, we're going to start the show, my conversation with John Machoda. He is my colleague with The Athletic. He is the Cowboys insider. We did. We went back and forth, three questions each, about what, what is interesting to us about the other team, what stands out. We talked about Micah Parsons. We talked about how Washington has gotten by defensively without, obviously, some of their main pieces. Ron Rivera as a motivator. We talked owners. A uh, fun conversation, for sure. I'll start off with John, and then we'll get to the Charles Mann part of it. For sure. Um, so we'll do all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. You know the deal. You can subscribe to this podcast, and I hope you do on iTunes, Spotify, or if you're a, if you're a subscriber to the Athletic, you can find it there as well. Um, in addition to that, of course, make sure you check out my work over on the Athletic. I updated my list of the most indispensable players on the team. I did this as a podcast exercise when the season started and I went back and looked at the list and it's hilarious to see what I think were reasonable thoughts at that time and how things have completely changed when you consider the injuries um, to obviously some very key players and yet Washington has been able to keep going here. Um, So it was an interesting look and I updated the list for who I would say are the top 10 guys now. So you can check that out over on The Athletic and as always you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. So it is cold. I'm not going to dilly-dally here too much longer with this intro. I will just know that as it stands right now from an injury perspective, so things have changed since we spoke last. Um, if you missed it, I, I, I uh, recapped the, last, the, uh, the, the Raiders game and just talked about this team in general, Taylor Heineke with Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. But at that time, we thought I thought Montez Sweat would be coming back to practice. And then, of course, we learned he is going to be out at least for one game, maybe two, because he tested positive for COVID, or at least I should say he was placed on the COVID reserve list. Um, So he's out for a bit. Um, In addition, today's update, uh, Landon Collins, J.D. McKissick, and Jamin Davis are all were limited participants in practice. That's actually a step up. Yesterday they were on the side field. Um, McKissick and Davis dealing with concussions. Those are always tricky. Landon Collins had a foot injury that kept him out last week. Seems like things are trending in the right direction. Ricky Seals-Jones was participating, which is obviously key uh, with Logan Thomas now on IR. That's also a difference. Since we spoke last, Washington signed Jonathan Williams uh, to, to give them more running back depth. Um, between McKissick dealing with concussion and Wendell Smallwood a little banged up after that game. So those are the things that we'll be keeping an eye on here the rest of the week, but at least Collins, McKissick, Davis trending in the right direction. We'll see what happens when we get to Sunday. Um, But that is it for now. Let's get to this. We'll start with John Machota, and then we'll get to Charles Mann. I will just note on the Charles Mann, uh, he had a great perspective. Yeah, a couple, you know, forgot a couple things. Um, He mentioned Joe Gibbs' first year. He started 0-8. I think it was obviously 0-5. Then they finished 8-8. And then he mentioned the Daryl Grant, the famous Daryl Grant, um, touchdown in the 1982 NFC Championship game as a fumble, but we know it was a, padded, a batted pass in the air. I just didn't correct him in the moment. We just moved on. But I'm letting you know that I'm aware of that. All right, that's it. Let's go. Here we go. John Machota, then Charles Mann, here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Joining the podcast, as promised, he covers the Dallas Cowboys for the Athletic. And like me, he had an interesting travel week this week he is john machota i think we won the well i guess it depends how you view the rankings 
But if for people who have Las Vegas and New Orleans at the top of your rankings, you and I won the lottery this past week. I was in Vegas. You were on Bourbon Street with Gary Jones. At least, you know, he was on Bourbon Street. I don't know if you were. Uh, did you enjoy your time in uh, in New Orleans? I did, man. It's a it's a great walking city. And, you know, it was 70 degrees, 75, somewhere in there. So, yeah, I wasn't on Bourbon Street at the same time as Jerry because, like, I actually go to the game a few hours before Jerry goes to bourbon street, I guess a couple hours before, which doesn't seem like a normal thing for most NFL owners, let alone 79 year olds. But yeah, he did that. So uh, I guess that's what kind of sets him apart from uh, the rest. But no, I, I wasn't out there when he was, I was already at the stadium when I saw that video surface. 79 year old billionaires during a pandemic. You wouldn't think that bourbon <laughs> street would be, would be the place to go on a, on a, on a game day. I think I said this to you the other day, I think over over Slack, you and I cover extremely different owners. Like every single week, including just a couple hours ago, we're talking on Tuesday afternoon. You were tweeting out Jerry Jones on the radio saying X, Y, and Z. Dan Snyder, I've now covered this team for five years. I've been in the room one, I think exactly one time with him speaking, and it was the the, the infamous Happy Thanksgiving (laughs) comment at Ron Rivera's press conference intro press conference and he doesn't talk he's you know obviously there's a lot of issues here jerry is just out in front all the time for better or for worse i mean uh it, it is wild the, the the difference in the you know the opportunity i don't know how much access you have to him directly but just the opportunity for this for the guy who's you know running the whole show to speak his mind is obviously pretty pretty interesting no you can hang out even now last year we couldn't get down by the locker room but now where they have their post-game interview stuff I'd say 50% of the time you can get Jerry if you write, if you wait in the right spot um, for when he, you know, depending on your home games is a lot easier because you know exactly where he's got to go, but road games a little bit more difficult, but uh, yeah. And if you stop him, he'll talk, even if he's walking, that's a thing. Like I think uh, from any time being at like the combine or owners meetings, you know, if you're ever like trying to go up to somebody and they keep like kind of walking, you're like, yeah, they really don't want to talk. Yeah, Jerry will keep walking, but he will not stop answering your questions. And wherever he gets to where he has to go, if you're still walking with him, he'll keep answering your questions before he goes in that door or whatever. That's it. Just it's very rare in our business and probably most media business where people like that will do it. But it's just like if you can just keep asking him questions, he's not going to tell you like, no, especially after a game. Like, I don't know, man, he like really he genuinely enjoys the media. So that right there, if that's your baseline, how many owners slash just people in general want to talk to the media all the time where he generally does. And so for Snyder not to have done that up to this point with everything that's come out with Washington's organization, I don't see how he would be doing it anytime soon. Oh no, no, he, he's not going to do that. I just, I also remember like being at the combine and obviously Indianapolis downtown area, everybody's around. We're all sort of in the same spaces and we'd be, we're all out at this one restaurant bar area and there's NFL coaches in there. Jay Gruden was in there. And, you know, okay, whatever. We're all, even coaches are somewhat normal people. Nope, here's Jerry Jones strolling in. The the Cowboys bus is parked out front. Jerry Jones comes in. I'm like, what is happening here? Not just because of who he is, but like coming from the perspective of the owner I deal with, never around Jerry Jones. I don't know if you can say he's a man of the people, but he's kind of a man of the people. All things considered, it's wild to see. Here, you know what? This is probably the best example for Jerry and the media that I've never even used until right now, but I think that you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I'll obviously, I won't mention any names, but there's multiple people that cover this team that really don't even listen or tweet or care when he's on the radio because he's available that much that it's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, can you just imagine any other scenario? I remember when I first got down here, I was stunned by this. I'm like, he's going to do this twice a week. Okay. I'll listen to all these. I mean, this is wild. Like, I mean, I mean, coming from Detroit, that's how all their owners are like the, your situation, like you're describing, you know, you just really don't get them. So I, I get down here and I'm like, oh, he's going to do a radio show twice a week. Oh yeah. I'll listen to all these. And he's going to talk after the game. Yeah. Oh, and he's going to be at the owner's meetings and the combine and, and you get to go on his bus for an hour and he's going to talk and answer just about anything. I mean, not, nothing's really off limits. Like, yeah. And then here's the other thing too, is like, it's not like it'll stay like that. Like after Jerry, like his son, Steven will be the next in charge. You know, he'll be running the football operations he already, I mean, he's executive vice president. He's already heavily involved and he talks on the radio twice a week and you can get him after games too, but he's not the same as Jerry where it's like, he does it cause it's the Cowboys and he doesn't dislike doing it, but Jerry loves doing it. And so there's <laughs> yeah. a difference there where, you know, he'll be available, but it won't be, it's just not gonna be like Jerry. No, J- Jerry living his best life uh, for sure. 
All right. So when John has been on this podcast before, what we did was we went sort of back and forth, uh, three questions or so each. We'll, we'll see what happens here. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. And just to sort of sort of piggyback off of what you're just saying, you know, Ron Rivera, even for you know, NFL coaches have to talk to obviously to some degree. Um, but, you know, some cut their press conferences pretty short or don't do a ton of outside media. Ron Rivera does so much that to your sort of point, I've heard him. I've, I've been even aware that he's doing some national uh interviews and like i do try to listen to most things but i'm like eh, yeah i've heard this story already i don't need to hear it again because he does talk a lot um on the i don't know how much mike mccarthy talks but it leads me to the question of going into this year i think for a lot of people thought look whatever dallas is they've got talent but mike mccarthy is going to hold them back but here they are uh you know it's been a bumpy road lately but two games up lead in the nfc east how much are they winning because of Mike McCarthy or in spite of? Going into this season, I thought if they won, it would be in spite of. But as the season has gone along, just the way that he's kind of had this team uh, prepared, uh, whether it be keeping guys that are injured, uh, giving them extra time to heal, things like that. He He's always talked about how like he likes to ramp things up towards the end of season. Everything's built towards being – he doesn't want to be – you're, you know, don't want to be your best in September, October, November. You want to be your best at December and going into the playoffs. And I believe the team is really bought into his message and his game planning and things like that from week to week. Like there's no question. He knows the right game plan. It's just, okay. You still have to be able to get the players to execute it. So from last year where we didn't have a lot of access to this year, where we have a lot more around him, I certainly see a lot more now this year of why he was able to be so successful in Green Bay. So this year, I, I think that he's been a, a a good part of it. Obviously, you need the players. Um, you know, I don't think that anybody there. Let's put it this way. There hasn't been a game like <laughs> last night's game where just like people are like, yeah, I didn't even watch the game. But Bill Belichick won that for the Patriots. Like there's there isn't any games like that. But he certainly I, he hasn't held them back. You know, there has been some clock management issues and things like that. And and but not anything real major. So I don't think they've been winning uh, despite of him. I think I think he's been a, a, a big part of it and having him on this right tra- trajectory. As I say that, though, with five games are remain remaining, that's what he's going to be judged on. I mean, because let's let's be honest, like even if they make the playoffs, they win the NFC East or let's say they kind of backdoor their way in and then they lose their first playoff game. Well, Jason Garrett was doing stuff like that. That's not what he was. You know, Mike McCarthy was brought in here to do more than that. So, um, but no, that's interesting. Your point, though, about Ron Rivera, because I try I, I can't do it all the time. but I try and listen to some of the stuff that other coaches say. So I saw that he talked to you guys for like 20 minutes or something the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, Mike McCarthy's around 15 minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes. But I saw that conference call that he did with you guys. I uh, listened to a decent amount of it, but uh, he seems very media friendly for sure. Um uh, yeah, so I just I think the biggest one that I want to know, and I've I've kept up with with Washington, obviously, just because of my job, and obviously they're on TV. Um, but for somebody who hasn't, let's say a Cowboys fan who hasn't really been paying that close of attention to them, what would you say has kind of been like the biggest reason for this four game winning streak? If you could just point to to one thing, what would that reason be? Sure. I mean, like if we talked like X's and O's, I would say, well, since the bye week, they've become more reliant on the on the ground game, which has taken pressure off of Taylor Heineke and also kept the defense fresh. They've been dominating time of possession. If I pointed the defense, I would probably say that right before the bye week, they moved Landon Collins from this sort of standard safety position to more of what they call a Buffalo nickel, basically sort of like a third linebacker that's changed things because he was getting beaten coverage. I think it's had led to some better coverage deep and there's just been better communication in the secondary. And that was a big problem. Those would be like the X's and O's reasons. I think on some base level though, to be super honest, I'm not saying they weren't trying before, but there feels like they're trying harder. Now they're feel like they're really rec- recognize, Hey, we're letting this season slip away. We were trying to build off what we did last year. We're not doing that. What are we doing here? And since the bye week there's been a renewed focus and energy and passion with this group. Um, Rivera has talked a bunch all year about, need for more maturity and discipline. And this isn't secret to anybody who listens to me regularly. It was pretty apparent. He was talking about chase young uh, throughout the year. And he eventually kind of said as much, and I'm not saying that they're, they're winning because chase young's been out. Um, he, he was out against Tampa, which is the first game that they won in this four game stretch. Montez sweat has missed all four of these games. 
but those guys were sort of the epitome of more freelancing, more trying to play off of their natural ability than work together as a scheme. And they've become a much more serious group, especially on defense. Um, and, and I think that sometimes it is just comes down to who wants it more. I think that was pretty obvious when they beat Tampa. And it feels like that's kind of been what's happening. Again, there's the technical reasons, as I said, but I think that's honestly probably as big of a reason as anything else. They just seem to have a, a renewed spirit about them. And it's only building uh, as they keep winning. It's interesting you say about the Landon Collins role because down here, that's what they've done with J. Ron Curse. They signed him this one-year deal. Most down here thought, oh, this is just going to be kind of a fill-in depth safety signing or whatever. Like, you know, he's never had like a really long period where he was a starter. And they move him into what that, like Mike McCarthy calls his big nickel package where he's playing down in the box a lot more than you anticipate him and leading the team in tackles. And just like, he's just been a vocal leader and he's taken on all this, this role. And obviously, as you remember last year, a defense that was, if not the worst in the league, second worst in the league, one of the worst defenses in franchise history. And while like Micah Parsons gets all this like credit deservedly. So, and like Trayvon Diggs and stuff like that, it's, it's been kind of wild, like how big of a role J Ron curse has had. And it's because of exactly what you're talking about that playing that bigger nickel, being that extra defender, that kind of chess piece that moves around. So that, that is pretty fascinating. And then also the Chase Young thing fascinates me because I just would be from afar. I just assume like when I saw him go down, I remember I was in the press box. Uh, I don't remember what Cowboys game it was. Obviously the same week they were playing Tampa. And I heard someone say, yeah, that Chase Young injury looks bad. And I remember seeing him uh, looking at the TV a little bit later and I saw he was on the sidelines. And I'm like, ah, you know, maybe it's not though. Why? I don't think he'd be back on the sidelines if it was, you know, season ending or whatever. And then I heard he was out for the year and I was like, man, they're screwed. I mean, you just can't replace like a guy like that. And then, like you said, they just go on and, and they keep winning it, it. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, it, it, it is. Um, this leads me to my question. You mentioned Micah Parsons, you know, Chase Young had a really good year last year. He was named NFL defensive rookie of the year. Um, but boy, it sure feels like Micah Parsons, he's going to win that award. And he, it feels like he's having even more of the season that I think people perceived chase young was having chase young is fun has a lot of energy and great personality and he was productive last year but like it feels like to the degree of being the dominant player that you have to as if you're the offense really really have to focus on washington has a bunch of other defensive linemen it feels like micah parsons has not just become the best defensive rookie in the league he's one of the best defensive players in the league period but that's my question because every player on dallas who has any who's good at all always seem like they get extra hype and attention because of the America's team crap. Sorry. Uh, yeah. uh, no, for sure. So, so I guess my question is how actually good is Micah Parsons? Is he legitimately a guy that everybody in the NFC East is going to fear for years or is he really good, but maybe it's a bit overstated because he's on Dallas. Um, I would say, I think he's going to be one of the best defensive players in the NFL for a long time. I think though, it's not just him this year. Dan Quinn has been huge with him, uh, not just with Micah, but with Trayvon Diggs, allowing those guys to kind of do what their strengths are and kind of fitting the scheme around. Okay. These guys are elite playmakers. I'm not going to try and fit them into what I want. I'm going to let them, I'm going to let them be them. And I'm going to fit my defense around those guys. And I think he's been a huge part of it. And then there's just been like a bond between Micah and Dan Quinn that you can just see, uh, they're just on the same page and, and they have a lot of trust in each other, which they need to have, because it's not like Micah Parsons is, okay, just go into this game and you're going to play Mike linebacker or just go in this game and you're going to play right defensive end. Like he's constantly moving around. And now that they're getting DeMarcus Lawrence back and Randy Gregory back even more. So he's going to be this chess piece that sometimes he's going to be rushing off the edge, sometimes rushing in the middle, sometimes dropping in the coverage, playing middle linebacker. Like he's kind of all over the place and Dan Quinn is allowing him to like do that. And it has elevated this defense significantly to the point where, I mean, it's one of those things where even the people in the Cowboys organization aren't going to sit there and say that they knew it was to that it was going to be to that level that quickly. I mean, you wouldn't at the very least, you wouldn't have even traded back to 12. You would just sat there at 10 and been like, okay, we're taking this guy. And then even at 10, if those corners were there that they wanted in Sertan or JC Horn, you still would have taken Micah Parsons over them. And now you look at how productive he is. You're just like, you probably should have even traded up to get him. I mean, he, I mean, so that, that, that's all factored in. But the thing is that we just haven't seen him very much with that full compliment because there's been so many injuries on the defense that this could be the first week where you actually see him with Randy Gregory, with Demarcus Lawrence, and you kind of see what 
the ceiling could potentially be with this group on defense this year, just because those guys haven't been healthy. Demarcus Lawrence got injured, uh, uh, broke his foot in the uh, second week of the season. So he only played in the season opener, misses 10 games, comes back last week and plays 37 snaps, which that's probably about five or six more than they wanted him to. So I think Randy Gregory is going to come back this week against Washington, but it's going to be, they're going to try and limit him. Maybe it's 20 snaps, 25. He's coming off of a calf injury and missed the last four games. So you, you piece those together with Micah Parsons. I think that there is still a chance that if the sack number is right now, he's at 10. If he can get into competition with miles Garrett, who I think is at 14 for that sack lead, I think that he could be the first player since Lawrence Taylor to win defensive rookie of the year and defensive player of the year, which is just crazy to think about. Cause again, like, I mean, going back to rookie minicamp, I mean, you're just kind of like, how much can you put on this guy's plate at linebacker? You know, there's just, you know, it's going to be a learning curve. And and we saw no learning curve at all. Like he made an instant impact and has continued to just continue track on that, on that, on that same, uh, I guess, wavelength or whatever on the same, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the way I'm trying to describe it on the same path that he's been since the beginning of the season, there has been really no drop off at all. And he seems just as hungry as he did at the beginning of the season. So yeah, it is pretty wild that, Washington and Dallas are going to go probably back to back years with, you know, elite big 10 players being the defensive player of the year. Uh, and I have no way of proving this. And even if I asked talent evaluators, I probably wouldn't believe what they said, because now that you've got to see stuff, I, I think people always change their perspective on it, but I wonder how much Michael Parsons sitting out last year, not playing impacted him falling to even the Cowboys at 12. Cause I have a hard time believing if he played college football last year at Penn state, and was just wrecking shop that he would have felled at 12. You know, he, he got to, he, he trained for an entire year, didn't play any football. Obviously his numbers were great when he, when he did the combine stuff or the measurables that he did at Penn state's pro day, but not playing all of last year, I think kind of probably had him slip a little bit because I think he could have had an amazing year at Penn state. And if he was on everybody's radar, he probably goes top five or six. So weren't, weren't there some off the field questions with him or personality or something along those lines, yeah. as I recall from the draft. Yeah, there was there was some like hazing issues that went on at Penn State that were uh, considered like kind of, I think, more of an immaturity thing. And so there were concerns of the idea of like, man, I don't know if Dallas is the right place for a lot of things you mentioned earlier, you know, that the star being on you, the shine being the old America's team thing like. Mike McCarthy actually talked about a couple of weeks ago, just because of his own experience of being the Cowboys head coach of he's just like, yeah, it's just different. You can't compare it to anything else, because when you do have even a little bit of success, everything is just magnified. And when you lose, that's magnified. And to be a young kid and be able to handle those ups and downs, especially because it's not like the Cowboys have played great recently, um, but he's continued to play well. I mean, he's there's been some games where he was probably the lone bright spot on defense. So uh, yeah, it's 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 been impressive for sure. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's any way that I could talk to you and not ask you about uh, just like last time. So from my, our perspective, there's not a lot of people down here that believe in, in, in Taylor Heineke. So I have to ask you from what you've seen so far, get, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say yes or no, but just give me a percentage chance that he's still got that job next year at this time. I mean, the, it, 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 it keeps going up. I mean, part of the issue is, and I've written about this now a bunch, what else are they going to do? The, the veteran market, you know, look, I mean, maybe Rogers gets traded or Russell Wilson or whatever, but like in terms of what we know, the, the free agent market's pretty bleak. Teddy Bridgewater is sort of like maybe the best answer. Um, you know, so that's not that exciting. Um, guy, here's some names who might be available this year. Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr. Here's what they all have in common. Taylor Heineke beat all of them this year. Now, it's obviously not just a one-on-one, but like he did win. the He was the starting quarterback. That's interesting. And, and, <laughs> and they won all, all those games. Um, he's a, at a minimum has shown he can play in this league. And he can be a guy that can win games. And it's not just that he's that they've won the games. He has four times now directed late game wins, uh, including this game against the Raiders. He throws a bad interception in the fourth quarter. And yet after the Raiders take the lead, he he drives Washington down the field to set up the game winning uh, field goal. Maybe they draft a quarterback because this feels like a draft where the um, I, I'm sure somebody will go top five, top 10, because that's what always happens. But whatever three, four quarterbacks may get picked in the first round, they may be there in the 10 to 25 range. And maybe Washington can get somebody there and groom somebody behind him. But 
this dude has spirit. He has spunk. This is he's resilient, and this is sort of what is embodying this team right now. And the player, the other players, are really buying in to him. So we we all keep keep sitting here and saying, oh, he's not the prototype. He doesn't have the size. Doesn't have the arm. And he lived dangerously this last game. Got away with it. He it feels like it happens a lot of times, but it keeps happening. And um, I, 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 you know, it was announced uh, earlier today that Ryan Fitzpatrick will be out for the season officially going under a arthroscopic procedure on his hip. That's not really a surprise that he would be out for the year. I don't think he will be back. Wouldn't make that much sense at this point, but I think Heineke at a minimum is the backup and more likely if I had to guess is he's the starter and they draft another quarterback, whether it's the first round or, or somewhere later to groom. But I, I think there's a reasonable chance that Taylor Heineke is the guy. I don't know the percentage. And again, like they tried to get Matthew Stafford last year. Didn't work out. You know, maybe maybe they do try to get a Matt Ryan or somebody. Um, but until you tell me what the true lay of the land is for the other options, I think there's a reasonable chance Heineke is the week one starter, which is unbelievable. And that's crazy, too, to think about. I completely forgot about the Stafford thing. How wild that that whole thing could work out where we'll never be able to prove it. But man maybe going to Washington would have given him a better chance to get to a Super Bowl. And the only reason I say that is because Washington is established on defense. I know that he would click with Terry McLaurin. uh, And just the fact of, I don't know, they're just like the window that they have in LA just seems pretty small considering that they're not going to be able to get young anytime soon because they traded away all these big draft picks. And I'm sure he likes the warm weather and the Sean McVay thing, but it's just like, how many times do teams build these like greatest show on turf, you know, type teams that really end up winning at all. Whereas in Washington, for one, I think he would have been in an easier division. Not, I mean, not a significantly easier if Seattle is going to play like the way they are right now, but still. And then the fact that they just, I don't know. I just, I just trust Washington's defense, not only now, but what they can continue building. I just feel like the Rams defense has just put so much into Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And then obviously they go out and get Von Miller. Like, it's going to get to a point where it's like they're going to have to fill all these other pieces in with like third and fourth round picks, which they probably are right doing now. But that is kind of fascinating that at the time, if you would have told me, I'm like, oh, my God, Rams, no doubt about it. But like the way that the Washington just keeps fighting, you're just kind of like, man, that might not have been a bad fit for him, actually. But um, I don't I mean, there, I have nothing against Taylor Heineke. I just think from like the Cowboys perspective, it's kind of like. I feel like they have the advantage right now because even on Dak's bad days, he's still the best quarterback in the, in the, in the division, you know? And if that doesn't change, you just assume that Dallas is going to be the favorite as long as that stays that way. Now, of course, like you mentioned, some of those quarterbacks you mentioned could change things. Certainly Deshaun Watson. I don't, I know that you've said before, I don't don't know Washington would be a fifth room, but maybe he goes to Philadelphia or something like that. It is wild. Like this whole division though, it's like, you know, you know, from year to year, you just don't even know really what to expect with it. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, the 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 uh, the Giants are, are fading away, and you know, I, I'm not a big Jalen Hurts guy, but you know, Philly has the draft capital this year, as does New York, to to, to do something at quarterback if they want to. Uh, yeah, it's wild. I don't know. I mean, we all underestimate Taylor Heineke. He all keeps making us look stupid to some degree. Um, so kudos to him, and and like I said, most importantly, the team really believes in him, meaning the players in the locker room whether the organization does in terms of him being the answer, I doubt it. But again, we're going to have to tell me who the other options are before I can say they're going to throw him out. Um, all right. Before I ask us uh, both of us to make a prediction on the game, I'll ask you one last question. Um, before the show started, you, you, you were telling me that um, Dallas's offensive line is maybe one of the bigger concerns right now for them. And that um, they haven't been able to have sort of the site, the same group out there. And some of the guys they have are, not been so great. And that's leading to some problems for, for Dak Prescott in the ground game. But to the point of the ground game, obviously Ezekiel Elliott's a big name and a big deal. And he's got a big contract accordingly. And Tony Pollard, right? Uh, he, uh, yeah, uh, fantasy football players know who he is, but he's not a hardly a household name. And yet feels like every time I watch a game, like he's the guy making the plays. And part of the Landon Collins deal here was, I'm pretty convinced, the coaching staff in deference to a veteran player who's got a big name and a big contract and a big voice in the locker room, maybe let him stay, do what he wanted to do for far too long. Landon Collins, even today, to this day, admits he's not happy about the move. And if you try to call him anything other than the safety, he will give you the death stare. I might sort of say that kiddingly. And I wonder, to, this is what I'm going to ask, how much is Dallas, like, should they be using Pollard more, but are in some 
issue kind of can't because Ezekiel Elliott has the big name and the big contract and the big status. And there's something here where as we get down the stretch, people are going to be going, eh, shouldn't this guy be playing? This other guy be playing more? Or maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe I'm wrong. And Elliott is playing an appropriate amount or, or whatever. I don't think that it's a major issue right now because Ezekiel Elliott's not healthy and everybody knows it. Like Jerry Jones will sit there and try and say that, you know, I mean, the doctors have told him that it's, it's an, it's a knee bruise. And so it's something that's not, there's nothing structurally wrong with it. It's not going to get worse. It's, it's a pain management thing, but that's not the same as being a hundred percent, but he's going to continue to be out there. And so he's definitely not right. Not like they're making a lot of holes for him. The, the issue with the Tony Pollard thing is that, okay, so if all of a sudden you give him 20 carries as opposed to 10, is he going to have the same production on those where he can break a home run like he did last week? He had a 100-yard kickoff return a couple weeks before that. Like, Is he going to still have that juice throughout the entire game, or should we continue to keep him at, at somewhat fresh as a, as a change of pace back and let Zeke get the pounding going up the middle? So that really hasn't been working. The running game in general hasn't been working. I mean, really, yeah. Tony Pollard had the one home run last week, but like you take that away and it just, it's been bad and it's been bad since the bye week It's, this isn't even like a, a recent thing. And it's not even a, like teams are loading the box thing, or we need to do that. It's everything. It just, it's not working at all. And the only thing I can point to is like, I told you the continuity of just one week, it's Lyle Collins at right tackle. Next week, it's Terrence Steele at right tackle. One week, it's Connor McGovern at left guard. Next week, it's Connor Williams at left guard. They even rotated that that grouping that I just mentioned in the middle of a, the first quarter of a game this year, which is was a disaster. So getting the continuity is a start, but I right now don't think that Zeke's playing just because of his contract and, and, and things like that. I think it's just because they're trying to not put the entire load on Tony Pollard because they want him to have that home run, home run threat ability, and they want him to have it throughout December and into the playoffs. So let's not try and get the wear and tear on both of our backs like this. So having these 10 days off is obviously a help for Zeke. I just don't know that he's, I don't think he's going to be right by the end of the year. Like he's not, this isn't going to be something that just goes away by getting a little extra rest. But what I guess my main point is I do think Tony Pollard's touches steadily go up as we continue going forward uh, because he is the healthier back and he is the bigger threat for a big play. But Tony Pollard doesn't have a ton of big plays running up the middle between the tackles. You know, he run, he has a lot of big plays when they get it outside, you know, sweeps and things like that. That's when he's at his best when he's in space. So I think they're going to continue to try and do that uh, to try and establish somewhat of a run game. But obviously this week, I don't know how well that's going to work. I mean, Washington obviously has a good run defense and if, and if the Cowboys can't run the ball, like, do I think they could still beat Washington? Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, it would probably be a closer game than, than what it should be. But yeah, I could definitely see it happening. The problem with the Cowboys is that they're not, they're not going to beat the Rams, the Bucks, the, the Cardinals in the playoffs in, in consecutive weeks to get to a Super Bowl or, an, or even an NFC championship game if their running game isn't right. You're not just going to put it on Dak's shoulders and he's just going to carry them to the Super Bowl. And because of the way that the offensive line's been playing, he hasn't even been right. So they're still working through some issues and, and there's a lot of hope that they can get it right in the next five games, but they'll, they say they're confident, but I maintain it's hope. Yeah, no, it's, it, uh, that, that's what's sort of been interesting watching from afar is like, you know, obviously, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's a big deal and you see this other guy making the plays and you know, it just reminds me of the Landon Collins deal. And for Washington, you know, without Chase Young and Montez Sweat, although Sweat maybe is back this week, we'll see. John Allen and Deron Payne up the middle have really, you know, maintained you know what what it's they've they've been the 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 centerpiece for this defense so this may actually be a week for dallas to actually want to work outside on the perimeter where washington is a bit more vulnerable their linebackers are weak relatively speaking and there have been there were some missed tackling again in this raiders game so this actually might be a week for pollard to be more of the threat than than zeke up the middle but obviously you got to pay attention to Ezekiel elliott if he's yeah. on if he's out on the field yeah and one other thing i wanted to point out that might be something to watch for in this game is because they've struggled so much on the offensive line, I would not rule out the possibility of them running some plays where they bring an extra offensive tackle out there. And I mean, like bringing in a swing tackle type thing, not on a goal line thing. I'm talking on like first and 10 from like the 35 type stuff. They've right. done it a little bit earlier in the season with Connor McGovern. They brought him in uh, when Connor Williams was starting at left guard. They had McGovern playing some fullback so where he would be an extra blocker out there. 
And Jerry said today on the radio that he thinks Terrence Steele and Lyle Collins are going to play a similar amount of snaps, which I don't believe at all. But it also made me think, oh, I can see what they're going to try and do. They're going to try and go with some bigger packages up front to try and establish any type of a run game. Because if it's just getting shut down with just a normal box, the, the Cowboys are going to be in trouble. I mean, because their offense has to score points. They're not going to be shutting teams down completely on defense. So they need to score points. And so if they're not establishing the run with the five offensive linemen, don't be surprised if they bring in a six, which is kind of wild. And I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I guess to just ask you back, what would you say is the biggest weakness uh, for Washington on offense or defense? Well, I mean, I think in general, like the, just the, the the attrition that comes from all the injuries, they lose Logan Thomas this week um, at, at tight end. He'd already missed six games earlier in the year. He comes back this last couple, and they've got uh, their inexperienced pieces, we'll just say, behind him. Same thing at defensive end with um, guys like James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill filling in for Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And I just keep wondering at some point, look, their depth has proven to be really impressive, but at some point, you know, where does the issue lie? I would just say from a defensive standpoint, you know, Washington's linebackers are just not that great. Cole Holcomb basically plays every single snap and he's been fine. And the rookie Jamin Davis, like you see some growth here and there, but like, you know, there's still some missed tackles and he's not quite making a huge, a huge impact. And, you know, I know Dallas has a guy like Dalton Schultz at tight end. And, and you mentioned Pollard here, like, you know, to me, it seemed like that's where I would attack, um, you know, try to try to get their linebackers um, either in coverage or, or just, you know, have, have them have to make the plays. Um, even some degree of Landon Collins, they're doing a good job of hiding him in coverage by having him play the underneath zone. They're playing a lot more zone, over during this winning streak, so they're having him play underneath. But if you can, you know, f- manipulate things to to get him in coverage, you know, he's he's got some issues there. So uh, those are probably things, the biggest uh, biggest issue. But like I said, the injuries, we'll see we'll see who's out there this week. If Collins is back, they didn't have uh, JD McKissick as their passing down back last week as well. We'll see about the tight end situation. So at some point, the attrition thing becomes um, becomes the issue for me in general. Um, all right, last thing, would you care to make a prediction? It's not I. I've given up really kind of making one of this team. I, I will, I will make one because you know, I'm, 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 I'm a man. I'm 40 or whatever my Gundy said. Uh, I'm, over, I'm way over 40. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll make a prediction, but how about you? Would you, would you care to make one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would go with, I think the Cowboys are going to win like 24, 17. Um, while Washington certainly laid down a couple beatdowns last year on them. Neither of those games are with Dak. Dak's played really well against Washington. Um, I just wrote a story today about just kind of how they've been ramping up for this part of the season. And so it forced me to look up some of Dak's numbers and I didn't even realize it. I mean, he's seven and one as a starter against Washington, 13 passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, only one interception in those games. Like he's played well there. Um, so I think that he he'll be the difference. So yeah, 24, 17. I think I've picked against Washington in three of the four, uh, three of the four wins. Here, I mean, look, in fairness. Wait, you didn't pick them to beat Tampa Bay? I did not pick them to beat Tampa (laughs) Bay. I mean, but like the Carolina game and the Raiders game, it's like I basically just went with the home team. I picked them to beat Seattle here. So it's, I mean, it's every game has been sort of a toss up. I mean, look, it feels like Dallas is the better team. Washington's got a lot of momentum. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll avoid people yelling at me. I'll pick the home team and just say they're, they're riding the momentum. And uh, Rivera's got him a good space. But, you know, on paper, Dallas should probably get this done. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over picking against the fighting Taylor Heineke's out there. So, so we'll go Washington and sort of like a, like a 21, 20 kind of game, but yeah, I mean, nothing will surprise me in either direction at this point uh, for sure. Um, John, I definitely appreciate the time, man. Go read John on uh, the athletic uh, and wait, sorry, I don't have it in front of me. What are you on Twitter at John Machota? Yeah. Yeah. J O N M A C H O C A. All right, so go do that. He's got all the Jerry Jones updates at all times. <laughs> He's on the clock 24-7 because you never know when when that owner will speak. I don't have that issues on this end. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. As promised, joining me here on the podcast, I had to get somebody to help this explain how big of a deal this Washington-Dallas rivalry is for those who maybe are the younger generation who don't fully appreciate it because we do have a potential big rivalry game here this week. No, Nobody better than uh, one of the stalwarts from the 1980s era, Joe Gibbs teams. He is former defensive end Charles Mann. And Charles, I appreciate it. Are you uh, 
it's Dallas week again, or does that just, when you hear that, does that automatically get you uh, <laughs> revved up knowing the battles you guys had back in the day? You know, it hasn't over historically over the last few years or so. It hasn't only because, you know, neither one of us have been any good. <laughs> right. um, but this is, ex- is an exciting week and it feels a little subdued right now because we just haven't been in this position in so long. And, you know, uh, I even keep pinching myself, if you will, to say, wait, uh, that's four in a row. I mean, you know, it almost feels like one of those streaks where, you know, we went 12 and 0 on a way to winning a Super Bowl, you know, where we were just flying under the radar because the Washington football team, that's what we do. We don't make a lot of noise uh, in the Joe Gibbs era in the 80s and early 90s. We didn't toot our horn a lot. And so if you didn't toot your horn, you didn't bring a bunch of attention. And we didn't win, you know, as handily as some teams would have won in those days. And so we just would win. You know, it wasn't pretty. Uh, it wasn't a beautiful game, you know, and yet we just did what we had to do but we beat people into submission. That means power running. Uh, the kind of game that the New England Patriots, if you watch that game this past weekend, the kind of game that they ran against the Buffalo Bills, it reminded me of the old Hogs. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally get that because that was one of the fascinating things about the era with, with the Hogs and John Reagan. It's like you knew what was coming. <laughs> And that the other teams still couldn't stop it. And, and there was a physical presence on both sides of the ball. That was really uh, sort of the hallmark of, of those teams. Um, but uh, it's interesting to hear you say that because you're right. Obviously, the last, you know, however many years, you know, it's been a downturn here. And da- it's not like Dallas has not been crushing it um, either. And that's what makes this one so interesting. And you said it feels a little subdued. I think you're right. I think we're all surprised that this is a thing. We knew that they wouldn't be playing Dallas until the towards the end of the year. They closed the season with five games against uh the division foes. But, you know, when you're two and six, it doesn't look like those games will matter other than just you're facing your rivals. And now they win four in a row. And if they win this one, they're one game out of first place. They're in the wild card now. So it, it, it sort of did kind of sneak up on us. Um I, I, But for those, I guess, who were sort of, I don't want to say new to this rivalry, but like maybe who don't appreciate mm-hmm. the old, uh, the, you know, the back in the day that really kind of got this thing going. How would you explain the intensity when a week like this would happen, when it would be Washington Dallas? What was that like as a player uh, back in the day? Well, you know, first of all, they would the team. I mean, the team, the fans would be chanting, "We want Dallas." A week before we played Dallas, we could be playing any other team. And towards the end of the game, you started hearing the chants, we want Dallas, because they knew they were next on the schedule. So that was number one. So the fans were going to let us forget who we were playing next. Right. Number two, if you go way back in 1982, I wasn't even on the team, but in 1982, uh, Dexter Manley and um, Tony McGee came up the middle on a text a Tex uh, stunt, it's called a Tex, where the tackles and ends crisscross, and uh, Dexter pushed Tony McGee out of the way, his own teammate, <laughs> pushed Tony McGee out of the way and knocked Danny White out. He he fumbles the ball. Daryl Grant picks it up, scoops it up, runs 15 yards, high-stepping into the end zone, and we're on our way to the playoffs, and you know, that really sparked the turnaround where the Washington football team started winning, you know, Super Bowls. And so that that Dallas win, knocking Danny White out, Dexter Manley, Daryl Grant getting a touchdown on a fumble recovery, that really was the start of uh, the Washington football team being able to match Dallas. And, of course, there was another era in the 70s, but I didn't play in that era. But uh, in this era, we we now had a legitimate rivalry. They now had to pay attention to us. Another uh, critical game is uh, a game where Tom Landry 
the the legendary coach with the stoic look and the and the brim on is watching his team. It's a fourth down play, and Dallas wants to go for it. They got Robert Newhouse and Tony Dorsett in the backfield. They hand it to Newhouse, thinking that would trick us, and we stuff it, and they don't get the first down, and we go on to the playoffs again. There were there are moments in time that I can just pick out that I remember where we overcame Dallas, and when we overcame Dallas, typically we won the Super Bowl. And and so overcoming Dallas is a big feat. Uh, they're both respectable. Both teams are solid uh, teams. Dallas is in the lead right now and, and, and can control their own destiny. But guess what? The Washington football team also can control their own destiny. And they're playing at our home. And at some point, we need to start uh, recognizing home field advantage and and these fans that we have in the stands who have been subdued, who have been minimalized by the other fans that are in the stands, we need them to stand up and be counted and do what the old uh, fans used to do in that little 56,000 uh, seat uh, stadium at RFK. And they took over and we needed our fans to, to be the 12th man to help us win. It made a difference. It really did. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting elements of this game. Like, I'm not expecting the the, the place to be raucous, like you, like you were talking about RFK. But you know, will the fans start to come back out with everything that's kind of happening? There, there is a winning streak. The Taylor Heineke show is kind of fun at a minimum. Um, it is Dallas. They are hot. They're in the playoffs. Chance to get closer in the division. And this is the type of game where the crowd. Uh, would be would be great, but you know because of the last twenty years, we'll see if everybody's ready to sort of emotionally um, buy back in right away or not. Um, but just to go back in time, you mentioned that nineteen eighty two NFC Championship game. I mean, I was old enough to remember right before Joe Gibbs even got there, and Dallas always seemed to get Washington's number, and it felt like that game, winning that game was almost bigger deal, like you said, just beating Dallas, let alone that you that that it led to getting to to the Super Bowl. And for me it always ranked as high as almost all the Super Bowl wins as a fan because of what it symbolized beating uh beating Dallas. But your first NFL game was the the week one the very next year, right? And your and it was against Dallas. Yep. It was the game where Daryl Green chased it down Dorset. You yeah. guys ultimately lose, but that was your your literal NFL first steps were against uh, the hated rival. That game remain. That game rem- reminds me and means so much to me. It reminds me of my career getting started. There was a lot of significant things in that game. Number one is my first NFL game, and so was it uh, Daryl Green's. Number two, it was on my wife's birthday, September fifth, nineteen eighty three, and number three, uh, Daryl. Just uh, he arrived in that game when he went across the field and ran down Tony Dorsett. Uh, it really, you know, put him in, in where he needed to be. Number four, we were killing Dallas, and they came back and beat us thirty-one to thirty. I mean, it was just a high-scoring, not very much defense, <laughs> um, but it was just. You know, I remember standing on the sideline. I was de- backing up Dexter Manley, and so I played on special teams, got in for a couple of defensive plays when Dexter got tired, but I really wasn't playing, so I got to really take it all in. And I'm telling you, I said, wow, so this is the NFL. I remember getting hit on a play on a kickoff, and my whole shoulder and arm went numb, and I ran to the sideline. And Kiyoki Kamal was one of our trainers. And I ran to the sideline with my arm dead. I couldn't feel anything. And I ran up to him like he's going to fix it. And he looked at me, put both hands on each one of my shoulders. He looked at me, looked up at me and said, welcome to the NFL. <laughs> I said, oh, my <laughs> God, this is crazy. Um, so it was just, uh, you know, of course I remember that. And that's very, very uh, special and dear memories to me and all any, any, you go to any Washington football team player that played in the eighties and nineties, 
the most and and maybe you know a little bit in the 2000s but the 80s and 90s we all have stories and we and they all center around Dallas Cowboys and and the Washington football team beating them or barely losing to them or getting knocked out of the playoffs by them or us overcoming them to get to the playoffs i mean it was that significant and you could bet if we won Georgetown was shut down the fans were climbing the the light poles, uh, the bars were packed, and everybody was out to celebrate that win. And if we wanted in Dallas, they were at Dulles Airport or at Old Redskin Park waiting for our return that night just to say thank you. That's what I remember. Yeah, no, for 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 sure. I mean, I totally uh, remember that i think i was a little too young to be, be going out to the georgetown situation but i do remember <laughs> the, the 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 way that the, the city would uh shut down and celebrate um for for sure so you know it, it, it you know, sounds like you're 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 paying attention to kind of what's going on here with this new team ron rivera obviously last year he gets this group you know he comes in with a tough situation across the board they're coming off a 3-1 season he's dealing with a pandemic a lot of the controversy but they he gets this team to rally late in the year they win five of their last seven and the NFC East is not wasn't exactly uh, what you, you know the the division that you guys were were in when it was always year in year out the best division in football. But okay, you you win the division this year. It looks like they're heading down a similar path to some degree. They start two and six. They've now won four in a row. They're heading they're in position if they you know control their own situation to make the playoffs. And he's doing it in a way where it, it feels like he is the definition of a player's coach. He's getting these players to buy into him. Every time we see a video of these locker room celebrations, you can really see the connection between the player and the coach. And it's, and it makes me wonder, you know, if he can keep this going this year, you know, could this be, you know, something that does ignite the fans and the emotions doubt even beyond Dallas, but just in terms of what, um, what's possible here, getting people back. What, what's your sense watching this in terms of, you know, what Ron Rivera, who obviously was a guy who has played in your era, um, as well with the Bears, what he's doing here. And if you see that sort of emotional connection that he's sort of making with the players, which maybe leads to getting there with the fans. Well, I, I, you know, I, the first thought is Joe Gibbs. And the first thought is his first year. And he went 0-8 and, and then won eight straight games. So at one point, he thought he would be fired. Next thing you know, a year later, he's going to the Super Bowl and winning. So uh, it, it, there is something about Ron Rivera. There is something about the cancer, uh, throat cancer he overcame. There's something about the fact that he was a player. Uh, albeit, you know, uh, a backup linebacker, but more a special teams player and whatnot. But but he was a player. Um, you know, he 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 understands. He's been in touch with the players. He knows how to get to them. He doesn't. You know, he's not a great interview. He's not going to give you a whole bunch there. But he says enough in the locker room amongst his players to get them to buy into a vision. They're, they're a disciplined team. Uh, they, they're, I, I think they're on the, at least on the, um, on the offense and defense and special teams there. I think they're, I think they're, they're coached. I was questioning. I, that's why I hesitated. I, I was questioning it uh, on the defensive side, because you've got Montez Sweat and Chase, young that uh, didn't seem to you know really get going early in this uh, season and then both of them are out now and all of a sudden they get going that's another uh, sign of a, a pretty good coach or coaching staff that can take second and third players look at the offensive line there have been so many injuries on the offensive line they've had you know third and fourth string and, and people off of the waivers uh, playing uh, off of the line, and yet they've been able to, uh, for the most part, keep Tyler, uh, Taylor Heineke safe. He's had to run a little bit. He's had some, a lot of pressure uh, at times, but, you know, look at the center position. I mean, that's just amazing what has happened there, and yet 
there's still been continuity enough to win football games. Expect for in fact four in a row. So yeah, so that the coaching is 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 a big part of it. You need a good coach, and you need him to know how to connect with the players. And I believe that Coach Rivera is starting to connect with the players. Um, yeah, no, uh, for for sure. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned. Um, the defense and how they've actually been doing better, oddly enough, without Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Chase Young's out for the year. Montez Sweat's going to be out at least probably another week or two um, at this point. I, I was thinking about this earlier when when you when I knew that we were going to be able to talk today, and I don't know what you think about this. You know, uh, you and you got there a year after Dexter Manley has already was already here, and Dexter Manley at that point is already starting to establish himself as a kind of a, a big, you know, not just a star in the league, but a bit of a folk hero as well um, for all his ability, both to sack, sack the quarterbacks, but also some of his uh, high-spirited antics and things like that. And you came in a year later, and you were, I would say, the more mature one of the, of the, of the group. You have a more of a serious demeanor, a little bit more, like I said, uh, you know, just as a person, a little more mature. And mm-hmm. I look and I look at this team now, and I, it's not they're different people, but like Chase Young, for example, he's a young person, right? He he he's he's mm-hmm. got to develop his maturity. Ron Rivera has kind of hinted as much as well. But Jonathan Allen feels like he was almost maybe in the Charles Mann role. He is a mature young man. He is serious about his craft. And now that Chase Young has been out, Allen, I mean, he's had a great year from the start of the year. He's had a great year. Great year, yes. But but it feels like he's like almost like the team is now sort of the defense, at least, is maybe taking on his personality. They come out, they're workmanlike, they get the job done. There's not a lot of histrionics, and they're focused. And I'm just wondering if you see any – not exactly, but any sort of comparisons between you and Dexter and, and Chase and Jonathan, just sort of how, you know, the different types of people can, you know, I don't know, kind of how John is kind of, uh, this team is kind of vibing off of his, off of him right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, well, first of all, I, I think that uh, things might've came, might've come a little too easy for Chase last year. And because they came easy for him, you know, I don't know what his off-season workout looked like. I don't know what his preparation was, <clears throat> but all of that factors in after you know having the rookie season he had. And I would say, uh, I would say, I thought you were going with uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat because Montez is not as much hype and is more of a journeyman worker. And I, you know, I think that. Um, you know, I, I see similarities there. Sure. When you're talking about Jonathan Allen, I, I just the guy is a beast, and uh, and he is just <clears throat> quietly. I don't hear him on the mic a lot. He just gets it done. He's kind of a, a, a lead by example. Uh, I'm going to be out there every day, every game, every practice. I'm working my craft. And I want to be known as one of the best without having to say it. And and that's how I was. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to toot my own horn for a second. Uh, you know, Dexter is still the all-time sack leader in my mind uh, because they did not count six of his sacks in his rookie year uh, that they're now disputing right now. And so if you add those back in, he's still number one. Ryan Kerrigan would be number two and I'm, I'm three. <clears throat> but, but I almost doubled both of those guys in tackles. I had 795 tackles in my career in 12 years. And, uh, Dexter had 300 and something. Ryan Kerrigan had 400 and something. And, you know, I prided myself on being a, a run stopper that you didn't get around the end on my side. And, and I don't see that in this day's, in this, in today's game. I don't see even the, the Watts, uh, in Pittsburgh and, and, uh, the only one I see doing feel, I feel like what I did is the New England Patriots and what's his name? Uh, he's got a weird name, African name. Matthew Judon? Yes. He, you don't run on his side. And I don't see that kind of end. I see the end. 
I see the uh, the people, uh, the running backs, and and people getting around the corner, uh, ends getting blocked and hooked, and I just so I'm I'm just I watch the game for, for a different reason. I'm watching different things. Uh, you know, um, I briefly did some announcing, and a lot of times when I'm watching a game, I'm talking through it in my own head. Or, and it comes out sometimes and, and many a times I say what the announcers were saying and my wife always looks over and says, Hey, they just said that. Or you said the same thing or they're saying the same thing you just saying. Because I look at stuff differently in the announcers that I respect the most. Number one is, is a former Dallas Cowboy in, uh, Troy Aikman. And then, and then number two, I like my former teammate in, in, uh, Mark Slareth. And they they both come off with a knowledge of the game, and a you know they're looking at different things in the in the game. And so I don't know how I got onto that. I'm sorry, but I just think that uh, I'd like to see you know this Washington football team, the players that are on the field. It doesn't matter who's out at in and who's at tackle, but I'd like to just see them on the defensive side, really own the defense do you know the last time the washington football team shut out a team do you know when that was uh i feel like it's been a, a, a long minute well it happened three times in one season and it was the last time i was on the football field with them when in a super bowl it's been that many years and that year we shut out three teams Three teams. Now we never get the credit. Now nobody ever thinks about when they think about great defenses. They don't think about us. But we have some tremendous uh, numbers, and nobody's gone back to look at those. But it was funny. Uh, the former um, announcer. I don't know if he's announcing anymore. Is Spillman still announcing? I feel like he may Remember? have gotten a job with a team. Maybe with the okay. Lions, maybe I'm not sure, but I feel like okay. he did. Well, that's where he played for years. Well, he was doing a a, a Washington football team game a year ago or two years. I think it was two years ago, and he brought out that stat. I already knew the stat, but he said, "You know, it's been 440 something games since the Washington football team has shut out a team." And then, and then I I, I added to that when I was talking to somebody. I said, "Yeah, we did it three times that year." <laughs> And we went on to win a Super Bowl that year as well. So I'm just saying, you know, when when you start hearing the hype during the start of the uh, uh, training camp about this defense and all the number ones and everything, you know, that doesn't mean anything. What means something is when you start executing, when you start saying, I'm not going to let down my teammate next to me on the right side of me and on the left side of me. I'm not going to let them down. I'm going to play my heart out. I don't need to talk. I'm going to let my my play talk for itself. That's when, and I think that's where Jonathan Allen is. That's why I went there just to say I totally agree. Jonathan Allen is having an all-pro season. I expect him to be in the Pro Bowl, um, uh, but he's doing it because of all those things. He He's trying to set the tone without having to talk about it, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, for 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 sure. Well, Charles, look, I definitely appreciate the time, and I was gonna say, I I, I imagine you're gonna watch a game, but right before we came on, you said, yeah, actually, you're gonna watch the game, and you're gonna do it in in in, a, in an interesting way with this rivalry. You're gonna watch it with Emmett Smith. I am gonna watch the game with Emmett Smith. He's uh, gonna be from his home. I'm gonna be from mine, but he has a platform that he's a part owner of that he launched about a year or two ago where he can connect to his fans more easily. It's called notable live and notable live. It can be found on the app at the app store and you can download it and you, they have prizes in the game. They, they, you can ask your, whoever notable live is having on, you can ask them questions. They'll, uh, you know, they'll respond immediately. Uh, it's, it's a really neat platform. So he's going to be watching it from his home. I'll be watching it from my home. We'll be watching the game live. We'll be commenting on plays and in the game, just like I would do at home by myself. Uh, but now we're, we're having an audience, 
that can interact with us while we're watching the game. So uh, that's this is a real cowboy Washington football team game with Emmett and Charles Mann going back and forth. And I'm not going to be nice. <laughs> and I hope I have a lot to say. <laughs> or I'll be quiet. It won't have much to say <laughs> if we get clobbered. <laughs> Hey, well, that's amazing that 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 that's happening. Just another another wrinkle to what's a, a surprisingly uh, all of a sudden interesting game: Washington Dallas Sunday at FedEx Field. Uh, you can listen to Charles Mann and Emmett Smith break it down while you're watching the game. Uh, Charles, I definitely appreciate the time. Enjoy that the, the time there with with, with Emmett, and uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, the team will give you something good to talk about. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your podcast. All right, many thanks to. John Machota, my colleague with The Athletic who covers the Cowboys. Many thanks, of course, to Charles Mann, one of the all-time greats in franchise history with his perspective on this rivalry and this current team. And, of course, thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast. Uh, Big week coming up. Washington, Dallas. uh, It's good to have this one have meaning beyond just, you know, they don't like each other. There's actually stakes on this game. And excited to see how it all plays out so we'll be back for more after this game but for now ben standing signing off until next time see ya